Romans 12, 9 through 21 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, do, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Well, I may be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but in just a couple of weeks, we will all be thinking about New Year's resolutions. Everyone has things about them that they want to change, and the New Year is a, a good opportunity to turn over a new leaf. And I guess most Americans tend to focus on the physical. Uh, we would like to lose weight or exercise more, uh, and you know, that's true generally in America because we're all overweight and inactive compared to the rest of the world. There's an ideal weight and look that we have in our minds for ourselves, and, and uh, of course, commonly, that's what our New Year's resolutions consist of, diets. Well, I want to uh, suggest a resolution for our church from today's text, and that is to love. Love our brothers and sisters in Christ, love our neighbors, love our enemies, and love God, of course. And love is a hallmark of the Christian, right? The two greatest commandments are love, your, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But not like the world defines it. The world doesn't define love like you find it defined in God's word. Love according to God's word is laid out for us here in this passage, Romans 12, how God defines it. Now, resolutions are fine, but your own resolve will generally not get you far. Just think how often you have made a, a New Year's resolution only to abandon it by the time February has come. The diet doesn't last very long, at least in my experience. I don't think I'm alone in that. Chapter 12 gives us the pattern, motivation, and characteristics of the transforming Christian life. It's a great deal here, so a tremendous chapter on what it means to be a Christian and live the Christian life, and how to live the Christian life. In chapter 12, Paul lays out for the Christian how they should respond to God's mercies that he has meticulously outlined in chapters 1 through 11. 
spent all this time laying out for us God's grace and mercy in the gospel. Jesus Christ comes to earth to rescue hopeless, lost sinners such as we are from our guilt of sin, from the penalty of sin, from our enslavement to sin, and eventually he will save us from even the presence of sin. And if we don't embrace with our hearts the salvation God has provided, then we will face judgment for our sins. The outcome will be condemnation because all of mankind is guilty. But God has come to us. That's why we're celebrating Christmas, right? God has come to us in the person of Christ to rescue us from that eternity of judgment. And the punishment for sin we all deserve was placed on Christ at the cross. He suffered there for sin. As Isaiah states in chapter 53 of his prophecy, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as we consider that, we should cry out with Isaac Watts, who wrote in this famous hymn, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that's what Paul means in verse 1 of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What will compel you to be a living sacrifice, to commit yourself completely to the Lord? Well, it's a consideration of the mercies of God. The mercies God has extended towards you in the person of Christ. He's done everything for you. He's provided salvation and and an eternity of hope for you. The only grateful response is to give him your life. To be a living sacrifice. Your life, your soul, your all. Committing ourselves completely to God as a living sacrifice means that we are committed to change, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, as it, as it says in verse 2. To think about things according to what the Bible tells us, how God defines things. To see in Scripture the revelation of how we should live in reference to, to God and His mercy. Now last week, we looked at verses 3 through 8, and we focused there on the individual Gifts that God has given each one of us. Each individual has a specific ability, uh, some specific circumstances and opportunities to serve God and his people. Here in this church, you do. And we are all dependent upon one another. Each one of you Christians has a unique spiritual gift that's to be used in the building up of the church. Now in this week's text... We move from the unique individual gifts that each of us has to the characteristics that should be true of all of us who proclaim that we are Christians. Before us, we have a reminder of what it looks like to be a faithful Christian. And we have here an encouragement to us to better flesh out these characteristics as we read these things and meditate upon them. It encourages us. We should be this. This is how we should look if we are Christians. And it, and it also is an opportunity for us to stop and examine ourselves by what's written here to see if we actually are Christians. So as we turn our thoughts to the text, the specifics of the text, 
we find that there is this one overarching characteristic that should mark the true Christian, and that is love. And in fact, the characteristic of love undergirds everything Paul's going to say, not only here in chapter 12, but all the way to the end of the book, 12 through 16. is really, how do you live out of love in your life, in reference to the government, in reference to, to everyone? Well, in verses 9 through 21, Paul shows us how we should love in reference to two groups of people. First of all, brothers and sisters in Christ. We see that in verses 9 through 16. And then even how to love our enemies in 17 through 21. Well, let's look at some of the specifics. Uh, I've given you an outline there. First of all, we, we see here how we, we are to love within the church. Love to other Christians. First, he says, we are to love with truth. Verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. The word for genuine here is unhypocritical. That's the Greek word is unhypocritical. The hypocrite, that's where the the word comes from, the word hypocrite, uh, which is the word for actor. A hypocrite is someone who acts one way but is really something quite different. Someone who plays a part. Now, when I was a kid, I enjoyed watching Gilligan's Island. And even as an adult, I still love watching Gilligan's Island. Great show. But you notice that, that the characters were so strong that you never saw them in anything after that. You know, even though some of them have only died recently. Poor Bob Denver. You know, he had a career before Gilligan's Island. He was on Dobie Gillis, if you remember that one. Well, after Gilligan, he never played anything much except Gilligan. They, they bring Gilligan on other shows because he was such, but he was not Gilligan. That was not who he was as a person. He wasn't the buffoon that lived on an island. He was an actor, born in New York and grew up in Texas. He was a school teacher. One time he was a postman. But we look at him and if we saw him on the street, of course he's passed away a few years ago, we would say, there's Gilligan. And if you knew his name, you'd say, there's Bob Denver, but you would only think of Gilligan. Well, as, as hypocrite, a hypocrite is someone who is an actor, is someone who, they look one way, they look like Gilligan, but that's not who they really are. Someone who plays a part. That's a hypocrite. And love is not to be hypocritical. We're not to be phony in our dealings with people. We're not to be polite and helpful and uh, apparently warm on the outside, while on the inside we despise the person. And this doesn't mean that we stop being polite. <laughs> it means that we stop despising people and, and, hide, and keeping that under wraps and holding it in. We need to deal with that. Does our church have a veneer of pleasantness which covers over a spirit of backbiting and gossip and prejudice? Churches are notorious for that. But we're also told not only to be true, to truly love people, but to love people with truth. There's right next door to telling us to love is he's telling us to hate. Let love be genuine, unhypocritical, but hate, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We, when we love someone, we must love according to what God calls evil. And we must cling to what God calls good. And that word for cling means kind of to glue ourselves inseparably to it. It's, it's the word for 
uh, a man and woman who are married. They are cleaving to one another. So in our world today, uh, what they call love is really indifference. The world wants you to just not judge anyone. You know, we want love to win, which means I can do whatever I want to and you must accept it. That's not loving. To allow someone to go in a direction that is evil is not loving at all. That's indifference. Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. Human love, E.H. Gifford wrote, Human love here offers a true analogy. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, the traitor. The fact is, Becky Pippert wrote, anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is, and the final form of hate is indifference. To be apathetic, to not care. That would be unloving. But we're called to be genuine lovers of one another, and to love according to the truth, to encourage people in the right way, in the positive way. And that means sometimes that we need to confront one another and say, you know, what you're doing, I love you so much that I, want, I don't want you to go in a direction that is destructive in your life. And that's how we should love one another, not with a veneer of pleasantness when we really don't care at all. So let love be genuine. We are to love also with value, verse 10 says. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's the word Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. This means brotherly friendship. Love one another as family members. You know, the Bible talks about Christians uh, and the relationship that Christians have with one another as being more important than our blood relationships. Jesus said this, you know, your, your mother and your brothers are out waiting for you. And he says, who are my mothers and brothers? It's the ones who do my will. So we should love one another and value the relationship that we have within the church, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the body of Christ, like it says in 3 through 8. And we're to honor one another. That word means to value Love your brothers and sisters in Christ for what they are, your family members. The Christian family is more valuable than even your physical family because we're here to build one another up in the Lord. We have those gifts that we're to use for one another. So we're to love with value, to look around you and see your brothers and sisters in Christ as truly valuable, not only as people made in the image of God, but as part of this body that we're all inter interdependent upon one another. And then we're to love with zeal. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. In other words, don't give up. You know, it, sometimes people are hard to love. And, and we can lose our zeal for it right quick when someone rubs us the wrong way, for example. Be fervent in spirit. Keep the fire burning for one another. Serve the Lord. When we love one another, we're actually serving the Lord. We're doing what he's called us to do. Do the right thing, the honorable thing. Keep up that fervor for loving one another. That's why we have sermons about loving one another, because our fervor grows dim. Keep up the enthusiasm for loving one another. And then we're to do it with patience, verse 12. This verse tells us to have perspective. Rejoice in hope, the ultimate hope of Christ returning, new heavens and new earth, living in eternity with God and his people. 
Keep that in mind and, and let that carry you through the difficulties of life, the troubles, the tri tribulations, the stresses and pressures that come with following Christ. Continue to do it and lean upon the Lord in prayer as we do it. So we're to love with patience, looking at the ultimate goal uh, that God has given us. And we're to do it with care, verse 13. We're to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. When someone is uh, in need, we're to come to their aid and help them out and to s seek to show hospitality, to welcome one another in. And we're to love with charity, to bless those who persecute you. The word bless here is the word for eulogy. You know, when, you know unfortunately, we've had two funerals in the past week or so. And, and there are eulogies when you stand to, to speak well of someone, you Praise them. And that's what a eulogy is. So even those who come after you, that's what the word persecute means, to come after, to hunt, someone who's kind of dogs you, uh, that person that you see coming and you just want to run away from them, you are to speak well of them, not speak ill of them. The opposite of bless is to curse. We're not to curse people, but be charitable towards people who are difficult in our lives. And we're to do it with empathy, to love with empathy, to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We've had the opportunity to do that with these funerals the last, week, this, the last couple of weeks uh, because we have been weeping with those who are weeping. We also to rejoice with those who rejoice. And then with mindfulness, verse 16 tells us, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In English, these don't hang together, but there's a play on words here. The same word is used three times, or a cognate of that word is used three times. We are to live in harmony. The word harmony is the word that, said, that, that means literally the same mind. Have the same mind. Be united in your mind. Not haughty. That's the word for high-minded. Don't think that you're above someone else. Think more highly of yourself than you ought to. But, and don't be wise in your own sight. The word for wise is that same word for mind, to be thoughtful. And you never think that you know better than everybody else. The opinionated person is who is being uh, specified here, who has no regard for anyone else's judgment or anyone else's feelings. They think they're better and their opinion is the only one that matters. And they tend to bulldoze people. He's saying, look, live in harmony with one another. Be of the same mind. Respect one another. Do it with mindfulness. Now, if we loved one another in the church like that, uh, that would make a difference, not only in our church, make a difference in your life as well, because you'd be truly loved. But we're also to love our enemies, it says here. We are to love our enemies, first of all, without equity, verse 17. We don't give what we've been given. We don't repay. It's not equal. They, they may uh, give us evil, but we are to do what is honorable, what is right, what is good in response to even the evil that comes to us, even when it's unjust and unfair. We are to love. Without contention, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Don't live in contention person that is uh, 
contentious towards you, don't be contentious towards them. And do your part to create peace. And then verse 19 and 20, without vengeance, we are to love our enemies. Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to God. Put it in God's hands. It's God's business to repay. Entrust yourself to the Lord. And then he gives us this positive instruction. Not only don't go for vengeance, but here, do something positive. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's a quotation from Proverbs, and the word for burning coals is anthrax. Isn't that interesting? That's a little fun fact. I don't know if you can call anthrax a fun fact, but the word for anthrax, burning coals, anthrax is an infection of the skin, generally, and it looks like you've been burned. It's horrible. Uh, if you see pictures on the Internet like I did. Uh, but he's uh, talking about uh, how you love someone who's even an enemy and... You know, they're not going to appreciate your love for them. It might even make them angry. But you're doing the right thing, and you're treating them well. And as verse 21 says, hopefully you'll overcome that evil with good. And that's the summary of all this, of this last section. Do not be overcome by evil. And when you get into a, a war with someone, you're being overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Do good. Now, we can resolve to do all this, and it'll last maybe till February, unless we are motivated the proper way. And that's what we go back to verse 1. We need to consider the mercies of God. How did God treat you when you were an enemy of his? Because all who are sinners and who are without Christ are really enemies of Christ. Did he... Repay evil for evil with you? Did he uh, greet your indifference to him with indifference? Or did he come to you as the Prince of Peace? Did he avenge the slights that you have made against him with your sin? Did he avenge those? No, he bore it himself on the cross. You were his enemy and he fed you. You were his enemy, and he gives you living water to drink. He's not heaped burning coals on our head. He took the burning coals himself, bore them on the cross. And he loves us, even as believers who fall short of living as his children. He comes to us with true love, continuously even when we don't love. He comes to us and he values us. And his zeal for us never abates. His fervor for his people, his children, never wavers. And he is patient with us. And he cares for our needs. And he blesses us. And he rejoices over us. And he weeps when we weep. When Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, he knows he's about to raise him from the dead, but he sees everybody around weeping, and what does he do? The shortest verse in the Bible, John 11:35. Jesus wept. He wept with those who wept, even though he was about to solve the reason that they were weeping. And he, and he always is mindful of us. He treats us as brothers and sisters, welcomes us into the family, and makes us joint heirs with him. So as we consider what the Lord has done for us, 
and, and, and we experience the love that he has for us, that should motivate us to love others, to love even our enemies. Now, if we're not growing and looking more like what is described here as loving people, then there's something amiss in our relationship with God. As I said before, this is a great opportunity to examine ourselves. It might be that you're only a nominal Christian. One can, t- can attend all the church activities on the schedule and not truly have a relationship with God. Now, if you have examined yourself today, if you're thinking about what I'm saying, uh, what it says here about loving others, and you find that you're not a loving person at heart, that you're not growing in that, of course we all struggle with it, we're not perfect in it, but are we slowly at least growing in it? If we don't find that that's true, and you don't pass the test, then you must call on Jesus to save you. You must rely upon his mercy, experience his mercy. Paul said back in chapter 10 that he bestows his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, maybe you're a believer today and you're maybe convicted that you're not as loving as you should be. Well, that just means that you've probably forgotten the mercies of God, as verse 1 puts it. Perhaps you're like the Ephesian church that is described in Revelation chapter 2. It says that they had lost their first love. Their love for the Lord had grown cold. They took the Lord for granted and they became weary in well-doing. They lost interest in and zeal for the Lord. That's you today. You should rehearse to yourself the mercies of God. Not just make a resolution to do better, but look at Christ. Look at Christ and look at how he loved. Look at how he loves you. Experience his love afresh and anew, and your heart will be warm towards the Lord and his people. Spend time in God's word, reading about his mercies and how he has saved sinful people such as we are. And God will transform us as our minds are renewed with his love and mercy. And we will be the people described here. And I pray that that's true of us in this, you know, always especially this coming year, that we would grow in love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these uh, various commands that we have to love here. Lord, what a, uh, a barrage that, that we cannot avoid to see that you are interested in us loving one another and loving even our enemies. And that's a difficult task, Lord. We pray for your spirit to dwell in us, to transform us, to change us into those loving people you would have us to be. Most of all, Lord, we pray that we would always keep in our mind's eye your love for us and the great lengths you have gone to to love us and to make us your own. May we never lose sight of that good news, the gospel of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.